Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I, I love hearing the scriptures presented with feeling, with emotion. And if you heard the, the context in which they were said and sung, very useful for the building up of, of, of our community of, of faith. And so I want to lean into them um, strongly and go this way. Let, let us pray. Oh, Lord God, through the story that was read, intermingled with that wonderful text, 
you show us that you indeed are our Father, our everlasting Father. You are our shepherd. You give us everything we want. You give us safe places, safe harbor to live in. You provide fresh water for our souls. And even though we are taken, guided, or even step ourselves into dark valleys, you never leave us alone. You always provide us with a way home to you. You set an amazing feast out for us physically and spiritually, even in the presence of those who would take us away from you. And our cups run over because we have a God who will never let us go and always gives us a way home and proclaims to us there is a forever place for us and you can come in and live in it forever if so you desire. Lord God, we ask today that we hear that message afresh through music, through tune, through the praying of these words, through the reviewing and the reading of a story that for many of us we're not coming across to the first time but can open itself to us in new and exciting ways. So Lord, we ask that we look for the new in it. We look for the pivotal in it. We look for that which arrests our souls and guides us closer to you. Lord, we ask your blessing on the one who's going to speak. Let him stand out of the way. Let your words flow. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> um, Vicki did a wonderful job of telling you that uh, next week we have a very pivotal meeting in the life of the church at 5 p.m., that meeting will be the meeting. I'm a pastor that loves to have the meetings at the meeting, so we hope you'll come at 5 o'clock. The outcome of that meeting is simple. We will either vote to go forward with the architectural plans for our new facility at REC Drive and Highway 13, or we will not. It's as clean as I can tell it to you. Secondly, Pastor Keith is nowhere to be found around here. We've given him a day of vacation, so he's away uh, with others this morning. So with those prefatory comments... And standing upon that wonderful music that had a rich message sending you to this place. And the thoughtful prayers of Vicki Stanley. Let's go into the teaching of the word. The purpose of these parables that we're looking at over these ten weeks. And all of Jesus' parables <clears throat> are to give us earthy stories. They happen right here on earth. And very earthly stories to, to engage your life. So that you might identify with the characters and the plot and the point. You know, these parables are told so that as you read them, you hear resounding in your spirit, this could happen to me. This that's happening in the scriptures right here could happen to me. This could happen in my family. This could come to play in our lives. Tim Keller, who's a preacher at Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City, says this. The parables are so easily identifiable that you could easily insert yourself right into the story. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Pastor Keith and I thought we might want to lead this sermon with a simple question. Who are you most like in this story? Who are you most like in this story? Let me give you a quick fleshing out and then I'll spend some time on it. By way of review, let's remind ourselves that there's three characters in this. A father, two sons, 
One of my confirmation students always wants to add the fatted calf, but he doesn't last long in the story. But let's talk about these two brothers first. There's two brothers, and they're both lost. Understand that. Even though one never leaves home, they're both lost, and neither one of them really loved their father for who he was. The prodigal son, he's easy. We, you know, we use that word prodigal. Prodigal, if you go on, you know, Google Dictionary or whatever, it just tells you that prodigal means imprudent, wasteful. He throws everything away. This prodigal son that we've talked about, it's not that he gets found. He's prodigal because he gets lost. And he's very lost in bad decisions, most of which are his own decisions. He doesn't get lost. He goes lost. He, he went lost. He chose loss. He took a run for it. The older son, through a life of obedience, duty, and rule following, he's lost too. He's very, very lost, as very lost as his brother was, but he's lost in good choices because his good choices have become his God. He, he's not loving his father for who he is. He's lost in just simply following the rules. Don't ever hesitate to, to understand this as Keith and I preach the sermons on the parables. So often we're talking about the Pharisaic rules and we're not saying, and neither is Jesus, that rules are bad. Rules being your God, that's a problem. That's what Jesus is saying. So this son is obedient. He never went anywhere, but he's lost. Now then, the third character in this, the, the, the starring role, is played by the father, which, which obviously is our God. And God appears in this story. I have a friend that always says this to us, and this story always reminds us. He always says this to to his friends. I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. I love that. And this is what God's saying. I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. No matter how far you run away, no matter what you squander, I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. And... The second thing that I see that's really useful to my spiritual life in this scripture about the father is the father lives this. There's no need to be lost anymore. If you're lost, there's no need to be lost anymore. It's a choice you can make. So let's really dig in. I'm going to use two words to describe the elder brother. Let's talk about the elder brother. The first word I'd use to describe the elder brother is he's unforgiving. This dude is completely sorrow, sorrowful that his brother came home. He's sorry this brother that had run off and blown all of the third of the money that he and his dad had worked for. He, he took his inheritance and he just blew it. And he is so mad. He's mad this guy came home. And he, he's so unforgiving that he expects his own goodness to pay off. He protests with his dad. He says, Dad, I've, I've never broke a single rule you've given me. And you don't even give me a goat and you kill the good calf for this guy. He, he is so unforgiving. He wants his goodness to have a payday somewhere. He, he, the, the Jews would have kind of laughed at this because, by the way, he's the older son. So his payday is everything his dad has. That's the payday. Good or bad, that's what the older son gets. But he wants a payday because of his ruling. And, and the other thing I would use, as, as unforgiving is, he's also unwilling. He's absolutely unwilling. He knew where his brother went. You know, brothers are typically in the same age group. They have, in some ways, some of the same temptations and inclinations. 
So he knew exactly where his brother took the money. He knew exactly where he was going. And he, he knew exactly in relative terms what would befall him there. And he did nothing about it. You know, it's the Jewish rules. It's the Jewish way. If your brother gets lost, go look for him. That's what Jesus is telling us about the older son. He was unwilling to even go look for, 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 for this brother. And talk about unwillingness. When the brother shows back up. Now his dad was obviously, he had a, he had, his father had obviously, you know, uh, you know, gotten some wealth and he had some things. He'd obviously been married because he's got two sons. So he'd seen the birth of their sons. But here his dad is experiencing in this story right in front of the elder brother the biggest moment of his life, according to him. It's the biggest moment of my life. This son was lost, now found. Now it goes even further than that. Was dead, which means I don't think I'd ever see him again, is alive. So I'm throwing a party. Come on in. Shoulder son's going to have nothing. Nothing to do with it. And his dad says, come on in. This is like the biggest day of my life. And his older son gives him a no confidence vote. Says, no thanks, dad. I don't want anything to do with him. And by saying that, by the way, he's saying, I don't want anything to do with you either. If we ever say about God's children, we don't want anything to do with them, we're saying we don't want anything to do with dad either. The father. The caution that Jesus puts out here about the older son is that he's the, he represents a religious community of his day. And of course, we represent a portion of a religious community of our day. We came at 8.30 in the morning to worship. The, 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 the problem with the religious community of Jesus' day can be the problem of our day too is that we get so enraptured in the rules of, of our religious societies that we forget that human beings are the main thing that God came to love and to save. And so, you know, this, this, Jesus has this older son saying some expressions that, that we can hear him say. He, he says, well, you know, he ran away so he gets what he deserves. What's he deserved? Eat with the pigs. He doesn't even deserve to be on our farm. He, I mean, after all, he made his bed, let him. Right. It's all about, for this older son, what the younger son deserves because the older son is looking at what he thinks he deserves, which is everything. And, and make no mistake about this. When Jesus ends telling this story, He ends with one brother found, and it's not this one. This brother is still lost, and very lost. So let's take a look at the father. First thing the father does is he runs to this rascal. He sees him, and he runs to this rascal. You know, in in the Eastern cultures, they call this story the parable of the running father for a couple reasons. One, and I, and I know I've said this here in this menu before, but one, men don't run in the Eastern culture. It is undignified. So when this man saw his son and ran to him, that was a un, very undignified gesture. And it was also a very useful gesture to the son. Because the other part about the Eastern culture, which is why they call this the parable of the running father, is that in the e- Near Eastern culture, the responsibility of this man's friends when they saw the son that had betrayed him and squandered his li- living on prostitutes and all that, it was their job to make sure that he didn't get back to the father. So it was their job to, to, to kill him and dispose of him. And the father wanted that not to happen. 
So he sees that rascal and he runs to him. And the father knows immediately who he's seeing, who he sees. He, he sees that boy from a long way off. You would, wouldn't you? Okay, don't you always recognize your own kids from, from a long ways off? I, I remember once we went down to Parents Weekend at Simpson College. And there's 1,200 kids down there. And it's all a bunch of hubbub. And of course, for these 1,200 kids, they apparently have one parking lot, you know. And we're parking our car. We're pulling up this street. And Teresa says, how are we ever going to find Sarah? And I looked over into a, a crowd of about 200 kids and my kid was walking away from me. And I said, it's easy. She's right there. I recognize her walk. We were at Iowa State once. My daughter, some of you know, we're on the Iowa dance team, Iowa State dance team. There's hundreds of kids on the, on the, on the football field after the players run out, the band all runs to the side. And Teresa says, can you see Lisa? Now I understand that Pastor Mike is not in the donor section. I can't reach out and touch the players. At this age, I can barely reach out and see them. But I recognize that kid's walk. I said, she's right there. That's her. So imagine this father knowing his son's walk. Now, we don't even always know the people we know. You understand that about people. Kids are different than people. You know, I graduated from Marion High a long time ago. A couple weeks ago, I was at a social function. And I was with one of my friends that I see a lot. And we're talking. And this lady comes up. Very nice lady. Very wonderful lady. She starts talking to me. We have a nice conversation. She apparently knows me. I know her, I guess. <laughs> and she walks away. And I turn to my buddy Kevin. And I said, who was that? He says, that's the girl that stood next to you in a locker for four years in high school. Man, I've gotten so bald and old, I don't even recognize people anymore. But, but I always know my kids. I don't always know who I'm seeing, but if I see my kids, I know them. And this father knows his kids too. And our Heavenly Father knows our, us, every single one of us. He knows our gait, our thoughts. He knows everything about us. But this man knows his son because you know what? Just like your kids don't leave your mind, his son never left his mind. Even though he never thought he'd see him again, I would assume... If he was a father like most of us were, every morning, noon, and night, he would stand on his porch or wherever and look at the horizon and say, is there any chance I'm going to see that familiar walk? And when he sees it, there is this comprehensive compassion that draws out of his spirit. This boy has had, he's been in a far off country. Now, I don't know what the speech was, but he's been rehearsing this speech over miles of walking on the dusty Palestinian hills. He's coming to his father, and he's got this speech all worked out in his mind, but his dad goes running to it, and this whole well-rehearsed speech of forgiveness, pleading for mercy, goes unspoken. Because the father comes with, with arms wide open, and he expresses to the boy, <clears throat> there are no limits. There are no limits what I will forgive you for. There's no limit to the compassion that I will pour out upon you. And from A to Z, he's forgiven for what he's done. Now think about what that means for you. When the Lord tells you, and this is of course what the father figure is to imagine, or to bring in our imagination, is that if God forgives you from A to Z in your life, there's kind of a long list there. There's a list that we need to be contemplating. There's a list that we really need to think. And, and, and what does that mean to me to have God's comprehensive compassion come over our souls and give us back the first life that we have? 
Well, this is what it means to God. Loving his son. He throws this extravagant event. Because the celebration of what has been lost, being found, is always a big deal. I don't know if you have this, but most homes have something that they're always losing. In my home, somebody's always losing their keys. You know, it seems, and you never lose your keys when you're not going somewhere. You know what I mean? Like right now, you're pretty secure with your keys because you got here somehow. But when you're looking for keys and it's the last moment, there's all this harried, where are they? Uh, you know, of course, I'm a, every place has its thing and everything has its place. And it's like, are they where they're supposed to be? Okay, got that. They're not, right? They're not. So let's look here and there and everywhere. And then all of a sudden somebody says, I found them. And we're like, yay, get in the car. You know, <laughs> you know this, we celebrate. And, and Jesus is telling three parables about things that, that, we, that, that are lost and found and about how we should celebrate that. And in this extravagant event, what, what, the, what the Lord is saying is that when you find what you've been looking for for a long time, drop everything and party. Just drop everything and party. This boy, he wasn't just lost and now found. We thought he was dead. Now he's here. Drop everything. And then if you love me, this is what the Father's saying, if you love me, you'll join in to the party. Because his perspective, which is the perspective of God, is that when a life's rescued, there should be a huge party. Now, let's loop back to the younger brother. The younger brother in today's world spent his life in narcissistic squandering. He had one interest, his own. His own wants and desires And according to the way Jesus tells this story, he pursues them with tenacity. He pursues them at full speed. And he squandered. I don't remember which woman read that text this morning, but when they got to that point, it says, he squandered. I love that. Because he squandered, which meant he he took his past and threw it away. He he took this family that he'd come up in. He'd taken all those values that had been installed in him by his father. He'd taken all that wisdom and knowledge and even that, 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 that stuff of working together with, with his older brother. And he just threw it away. And he took a third of the money, which was his present, a third of his father's estate, and just pfft, spent it on everything. He, 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 he could have that, but right now he doesn't. It brings me to, to the simple question. This is a question that I wrestled on, you know, starting a week ago Wednesday. With this question, um, what, what are you squandering? So I, I've really been compelled to bring that to my congregation. You know, in your lives, what are you squandering? I, when I was 23 years old, I was first year seminarian, I, I was a chaplain at the Federal Correctional Institute in Denver, Colorado. And I met with a guy named Guy Jones. He was, he was 19. I was really young, and he was really younger. And I remember sitting with him, and I said, Guy, I've got to talk to a bunch of kids tonight. As a, as a prisoner, what would you say? Get this. 19-year-old prisoner. He was looking at minimum 25, so he had a bit, a bit of time to think. He said, one piece of advice I'd tell him, Reverend, tell your church people this. Don't waste your life like I did. Now, you can't even get any more clear than that. When you listen to a person who has wasted their life, and they tell you not to waste your life, kind of has a deeper meaning to it, kind of has some profundity. 
And, and so when I remembered that, I remember guys saying that to me, and then I, I was thinking this week, I was like, well, that's, that's what this story is about. Don't waste your life. And so the question is, is what, what are we squandering? Are we squandering the life that God has, has given us? Are we squandering the family that is the micro, whatever your family makeup is, are we squandering that micro image of God's, God's way in this world? Are we, are, we, are we squandering the image of God's, what God's desire for us? Have we, have we spent the time, you know, ratifying the, the, the love of God in our family life? Have we spent the time that we need making right relationships? Because we know one thing about this is we haven't squandered the rest of our life yet. Have we spent any time? Or if, we, if we have that guilt, if something's like holding over you about squandering your family's life, you know, let today be the day of the Lord. Are you squandering your time? I mean, one thing I know about time is I can't make any more, but I have this time. And you and I all know, regardless of the amount of hair or not that we have on our head or the color that it might be, uh, real or artificial, the sand eventually runs out of the hourglass of our lives. This is just simply true. So our time, one of the biggest gifts that God has given us is the time. David says, I'll be faithful in my generation. My question is, will we be faithful in ours? And we have complete freedom from, to the molecular level that God gives us. How are we using our freedom? Are we using our freedom <clears throat> to choose God <clears throat> or to choose our own self-interest? I don't know what you read on the news, but I want to tell you about something I read. This past week, in Aleppo, Syria, 11 Christians were crucified. This week, not 2,000 years ago, this week. Two of them were a father and son. All 11 had previously been Muslims. Now, of course, all Muslims are not radicalized, but this group of ISIS was. In front of his father, the son, given the choice to renounce his faith, because that's all they had to do to walk away from this, the son, and this is not a preaching illustration, by the way. This is like lives of people that live in the world or lived in the world that we live in. This son chose to be crucified even though you have to imagine the father's heart being absolutely broken as he watched his son, a boy, middle school age boy, be crucified. That was the freedom that they were given. You just renounce your faith and you'll be free to go. Now, I don't know their names, but I pray that their story is told forever as long as the gospel is preached. But, but are you using your freedom with any weight at all? I mean, God gives you freedom to choose God for God and for others. And sometimes we're worried about saying, hey, Mike, you went to 935 today. And I usually think if you're worried about that, I didn't go long enough. Not one single amen. <laughs> Thank you. If I beg long enough, somebody will give me one just so we'll go, right? We have time. We have freedom. And here we are in a life in a world of spiritual bankruptcy and brokenness. And, and, and the freedom we have to use right here, right now, is in front of us. We, we can't worry about what we did last week or last year, or even this morning. It can't undo that, but we have to be willing to use that. And are you, what are you squandering? I always worry about Christians and, and want to ask the questions to, to youth and others. Are you squandering your mind? 
You know, I mean, the mind is the resonance of the soul when we live on, on this earth. Are we filling it with junk? Are we just filling it with junk, you know, with videos of cats and junk like that and whatever, you know, videos of, uh, or, or listening to Fox News and, and CNN fight back and forth on the same point? Are we, are we, are we filling it with, 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 with any kind of substance at all? Or are we simply bending it with substances that we put into our mouth and our lungs? Or are we allowing it to be empty of any inclination towards God's wisdom and God's love? What are we doing with our mind? And of course, you know, you probably expect me to ask you what you're doing with your money. You can work that out yourself. But what are we doing with the opportunity that, are we squandering the opportunity that's right in front of us? I mean, we can squander our past and present. That might already happen. But we have choice about what to do about our future. We have not yet squandered our future. And we believe... And we understand that the cross is about the God of a second chance. Because our God is the God of the second chance. And so no matter what, according to him, your past and your present has been, your future is still immaculate. And you have opportunity to claim it for him. The prodigal, the story of the prodigal that was read from your pulpit a few moments ago has this line in it. The line we all need to listen to. This guy goes through all this squandering of all of his life, and then it says, when he came to his senses. When he came to his senses, and the most important thing he did, you know what he did? He turned his face to home. When he came to his senses, he turned his face towards home. And so the question is, have you come to your senses? You know, some of us have been walking through this life for a long time. Do we need to come our, to our senses? Have we come to our senses? Because our God says to us, there's no reason for you to be lost anymore. There's no reason for you to be lost anymore. There's no reason for you to be out squandering where you are. You're loved and you can't do anything about it. There's no thing you can do about that. And you'll never be truly yourself until you come home. This is what the boy realized. He's not going to be himself fully and completely. Till he goes home. So do you want to go home? Do you want to come home? Jesus comes to bring the whole human race home. That's what he's about. Jesus comes to bring the whole human race home. A number of years ago, I went to the North Central Jurisdictional Conference of the United Methodist Church, 2012, and there was a bishop. And I'm not a jewelry guy. I wear a watch and a ring. That's what I wear. But he gives you these bands, you know, because they're kind of cool. And a lot of people wear them. And I, that's cool. I like that. That's great. I don't. But he gave me one. And the reason four years later, the, the words haven't rubbed off it yet is because I don't wear it very often. But I know it real well. Because it moved me the way this little five-foot-nothing bishop gave it to us. He gave us all two. Two. Gave us all two. He says, one's for you because you need to know its message. And one's for somebody in your life that's broken and needs to know its message. Powerful. So what's the band says? Say there's always a way home. There's always a way home. And everybody that's never known God and everybody that does know God that's ever wandered afar off needs to know that. Tell your people this. There's always a way home. There's no ruby slippers to click three times. There's no long list of requirements. There's no gatekeeper that comes in front of you and tries to block you from getting out. There's always 
a way home. While there's air in your lungs, there's always a way home. The way home is for you to turn your face towards home and do your part in in repentance and understand that God has already done his part in the cross and made a bridge from where you're at to where he's at so that you can get home. And you need to know this lastly. You need to know that someone's looking for you. Are, Are you aware that someone's looking for you all the time? I mean, Christians, you need to know that, that, that there's always someone looking for you. One of my friends, Skip Strickland, he's a, actually he's a district superintendent of the Rocky Mountain Conference, but years ago, growing up on, he was on Mount Hood, he was a mountaineer kind of guy, and uh, anyway, his party of 11 was out in uh, the spring, and in the spring, if you're familiar with mountains, sometimes snow moves. And Skip and his group got caught in an avalanche, and Skip was, Skip was pushed into a crevasse. And as he went into the crevasse, he had two, two uh, ice axes, and he jammed it into the ice. And as the snow kept pouring over him and around him, he was stuck. But as soon as it stopped, he realized there was still air. And he kept thinking in his mind, as long as there's air... There's a way home. As long as there's air, there's a way home. And so he started working himself towards the edge of the crevice. But what he couldn't hear or know in, in, the, in the nearly extreme darkness of the snow and the absolutely deafening silence that he was feeling was that of the ten in his, the eleven in his party, the, the other ten had evaded the snow. And so they were all looking for him. So as Skip knew, he says, as long as I had breath in my lungs, I knew there was a way home, and I found out in quick order after 43 minutes in the darkness that they were looking for him. Some of us have spent a lot more time than 43 minutes in darkness in our lives. But you need to know that someone's looking for you. If you're lost, Please know this. I mean, I really just came by to say this to you today. Please know that Christ Jesus is looking for you and anyone else that you know that's lost. Please know that he desires to bring them home to you. It's why he came to earth, to bring the whole human race home to him. And no matter how far off, no matter how deep your darkness is, no matter how lost you feel right now, I know that sometimes, you know, the church is a, it's not a, you know, it, it's, it's not a country club for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. So I know that some of us are in the dark, deep darkness right now. And so no matter how far off you are from God right now, he, he's made a home for you and he wants you home. And he's made a way and he's coming on it to get you right now. Just like the Father, he's running towards you. Because you're beloved and you're wanted. So come home. And when you do, know this, because this is biblical history and this is Christian life. When you come home, whether you've been just a little bit off or far off, that triggers an amazing party. It triggers God's heart. It sends off the conductor of the angelic chorus because you've come home. So come home, my friends. I don't have anything more important to possibly say than that. Come home. Tell your friends there's always a way home. And they can come home. And when they do, 
then the party starts. I proclaim this to you in the name of the one God who expresses himself to us in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord and amen.